Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Hi, everyone. On the podcast today, we have Alan Formello and William Messina. If you guys haven't heard our previous episodes with Alan, please have a listen. It's episodes number 49 and 78. If you guys also follow this podcast, you know we usually have a bunch of questions prepped, but today I just thought we'll try a different approach, a casual conversation just amongst us. But I do want to focus on the new project that Alan and William have just launched called The Watch Space. But before we start, Alan and William, can you just introduce yourself to our listeners? <laughs> um, I'm Alan Farmello. I've been into watches since I was a little boy. Um, and I got into watch journalism professionally eight years ago, roughly. I had been a writer and a journalist in a different space in the music world before that. Um, and I've written for all the big publications. And during COVID, um, all that freelance work dried up. And so I really put a lot of efforts into Beyond the Dial, which is the publication that I run. Started as a podcast, as you know, and you guys have been on it. Um, and then it kind of grew into a more enthusiast publication, a lot of collector guides, um, a lot of what we call evergreen material. We don't really do the news. We just do in-depth stuff about aesthetics and about watches and about collecting and weird little niches and Seikos and all that stuff. So um and in terms of watches, I kind of love everything. I've I've gone down a little bit of a Rolex rabbit hole lately of all things. I finally came to the big crown and I'm getting a couple of those. And uh, my other little niche is Vacheron Constantin dress watches from the mid-century because they're beautiful and they're small and affordable. <laughs> so that's what I've been looking at lately. All right. William? Uh, my name is William Messina. I'm a watch dinosaur. I started collecting when I was 15, uh, which means that it's nearly 40 years I've been collecting watches. I got involved in watches first as a collector, and then I got involved professionally. I own stores in New York and Miami. I uh, co-directed Time Zone for many years, Time Zone Com. I was a CEO of Anticom for a few years. I did consulting for brands, for auction houses. And uh, today I own a company called Messina Lab, which uh, makes watches and makes collaboration with other brands mm. and work on some projects. And today we're going to talk about one project that we worked with uh, Alan and David on All the right. watch space. Okay, But let's so, just go straight yeah. into it then. Yeah, it's called the watch space. What is it? Oh, but Uh, also, if you guys Google the watch space, it's not the first one. That's another watch website selling watches. It's not that one. It's an app, guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, look for the app. So uh, in general, the watch space is uh, an app for tablets and smart devices, phones that aggregates news and other media about watches and it has three feeds one is blogs and and regular writing journalism type places uh the other is youtube and the third is podcasts and you can actually play the podcasts and the uh, youtube videos within the app 
And mm -hmm. somewhat importantly, and a little different from its predecessors, uh, the credit, so to speak, of the data stream actually goes to the publication, not to the app. Mm -hmm. uh, in the past, there was some sort of fishiness for that with some of the other platforms that were out there. And you can then, we have included as many media sources as we can. So far, we're mostly only English language, but we're looking to build out other languages. In fact, might ask you guys for some help on that at some point. Um, but it's, we have well over a hundred news sources and then you can go in very easily with the app and turn on and off the sources you actually want to see. So we don't really curate much. We, we are really, really inclusive. And then we leave it up to each individual user to customize the feeds for themselves. And so for each of those three feeds, the blogs, the YouTube and the podcasts, you can select to see one or not to see each one or not. Mm. And there's other cool features like sharing stories with your friends. You just click a thing and you can also save things and kind of create a little library uh, within mm. it. And down the road, we'll have more features. Yeah, Dan. So I was going to ask William, how did you come to meet Alan to work on this and why are you doing it? Um, I met Alan a few years ago. Uh, we met through Masina Lab, uh, I think. I think I, I reached out to Alan uh, and asked him why he hadn't reviewed or talked about any of the watchers or something like this. Or so Alan reached out to me. I, I don't remember. Alan, you do? Yeah, Oren Hortov. Uh introduced us so a colleague of mine who you guys might know he's kind of really high up there in the watch journalism space now uh now Oren Hartov he used to be my editor at Gear Patrol and even before that he and I were um both writing for Warren and Wound and we got to know each other there uh and then he went on to Gear Patrol I went freelance worked for him and then he introduced uh William and I because he thought we would collaborate or do something together and lo and behold we did but how did you guys come up with this idea? Because I can tell you from a user standpoint of view why I would use it. Like if I was lying in bed and I was like, okay, it's time to read something. I honestly, the reason why I would click Hodinkee isn't because I'm like, whoa, the writing's amazing. It's because the app is easy to use. But you're not going to open so many apps in one night. So you end up reading a few like articles on Hodinkee and then you close the app and then you go to sleep. But then if I had something like where I cu curated the feed, like Reddit, I could be like everything that's coming into my feed is stuff I'm interested in. Yeah. So uh, that was the, the on Dinky had an app like we we created uh, called Watchville. Okay. Uh, Watchville was this uh, feeder of different news outlets that on Dinky shut down. I think about uh, a year ago, maybe yeah, about a year ago. I think it was in October of last year, mm -hmm. and that was one of the reasons that Alan and I started talking about doing our own app. Is that this app didn't exist anymore, and we we felt that uh, you have a point. It's easier you open on Zinki and you have the news, but we felt that it was important to have plurality in terms of news, not only one opinion. And um, Zinki also has a created. Um, a website where you may not have all the news, um, something they don't cover. Um, we also felt that there are things that, and that's not only on Zinkies, any um, any blog may cover more of the people that sponsor them um, or pay the ads. So we felt that it was important for the uh, watch, the watch industry as a whole, watch collectors, 
to have basically um, a broad approach to what's out there. Okay. That's the, the main reason we created the watch, the watch space is you're a young starting collector. You have um, a way to kind of cover and find what you like with one app. You put, you know, we have a great search engine in the app. You can yeah. put the name of a brand, the name of a watchmaker, and all the articles will show up on your feed. Okay. Um, and the same for podcasting, same for uh, YouTube. So we felt like that was important. The other thing that we felt was important is smaller guys may not get the voice that they should have. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, Alan has that experience with his own blog where he, you know, he may not have the reach that Ondinki has. And we felt that it was important that the smaller guy has a reach too. Okay. Mm. Yes, yeah. Daniel, so, go ahead. Yeah. My, my question is like, why did Hedinki like stop Watchville? And are Hedinki one of the people that are on this watch space now? Because they, you know, the truth is they, they bring it, they have a lot of traffic onto their site, right? The way I would answer that is we don't really know exactly why they shut it down, but we do know that Hodinki became a retailer in recent years and a pretty big company in pretty short time and they grew and grew. And so I can only imagine that their decision to close down Watchville was that it wasn't supporting whatever their current goals are. Um, and I think there's a big push for retail uh, at Hodinki, Warren and Wound is also a store now. These are places that didn't used to have retail. So they were just straight journalism uh, back a while ago. And then they both created shops. Um, and to add to what William was saying, I think one of the other reasons we feel like Hodinki is your main news source or your only news source um, might not be the best choice is that they, and and I, you know, I have, I've worked for Hodinki. I've written for Hodinki. I used to write, copy for the shop i've got you know I, I know these people and william knows them really well too it's not a criticism but when you become a retailer the nature of your uh, publication changes to that of a marketing tool and that's not a mystery or a grand revelation it's just the fact of running a business that's now a retailer and i think that part of the issue of going to hodinki is that they're very incentivized to not only write about brands that support them and advertise, but the ones that they sell and the ones that are most profitable that they sell or that they're having trouble mm. selling and they want to move in their shop. So things like inventory levels could affect what they cover and that kind of thing. Whereas when you go to the watch space app, it really is one of the reasons I pushed for the name, the watch space is it's like the whole watch space. And it's up to you to decide how to kind of filter that out to your own tastes and, and interests. Mm. Daniel? Dan? Yeah. So you mentioned about like Hedinki being originally probably more journalism changing and evolving into more of a retail outlet and the same with worn and wound. But then may I ask like, how do you intend to monetize? I put this question to William back again, like how do you intend to monetize this or is it not supposed to be monetized? Um, well, it, it is monetized uh, and that would be advertisers, straight advertisers that would be in between the articles that you read. So you'll get, you know, something to click on. Um, we have one advertiser already, uh, which started a month ago, and actually less, uh, three weeks ago. Um, and that's Philips, the auction house. Uh, shout out to them, by the way. <laughs> they, they paid uh, a little bit of the bills for the watch space. And that's basically the idea is that we we are not we are not writing any articles. We are not, you know, we, we are not publishing anything. Um, we are gathering 
articles from others to one app where people can make the choice that they want. It's more of a libertarian uh, uh, view of the watch world than uh, an opinion that we want to impose on anybody. Okay. Um, but but I want to say that we are not looking to you know push a lot of different products on the app. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, is building a community part of the vision that you have here? And if you're trying to build a community, how do you intend to do that? Other than I guess like comment section. But is there any kind of direction where you eventually want to make it like a like say Roly Fest or like something where everyone can meet up? No. I love that no. question, Lung Lung. <laughs> I, I think that, that that we created an app that allows anybody access to like the whole global community. And as we add languages and more outlets, at least via it's we don't aggregate forums, but other than and of course we don't aggregate all the Slack channels that have cropped up and other private things that happen. But we've aggregated the whole community of watch journalism or enthusiasts or from the highest levels of highly funded production level video to the scrappiest little podcast with a guy in his phone in his bedroom. And that feels like community to me. And William, we did talk about that, uh, that sense of bringing all of this disparate stuff into one place to give one a view of what's going on in the watch world overall. And I think there it does have that effect when I use it. I don't turn anything off because I'm sort of curious what's there. And you see on any morning, you're you're seeing trends, you're seeing what's popular, you're seeing effective press releases that got 10 articles that morning that are identical. And you're mm-hmm. seeing, oh, there's a lot of interest in this watch showing up. Or why are people talking about these vintage Grand Seikos all of a sudden? It's like kind of cropping up in various channels. And there is a sense of how the community in a internet kind of digital world exists around watches. Um, but to, to kind of go back to what William was saying, we're not looking to necessarily build I mean, who knows what will happen in five, 10 years, but something like Rollyfest for the watch space, there's not really a mechanism to bring people together or to create interaction uh, mm-hmm. through the digital space. And though we haven't really discussed this at length, my feeling is that online interactions, we have enough of that in our lives and yeah. they don't, it doesn't always go well. <laughs> there's no, a lot of trolling no, and not. arguing in the comment section is where I go yeah. to when I'm bored and I want to see, you know, the act, yeah. the, the kind of fighting or something. Yeah. So We've, we we leave that to the blogs and to the individual publications. I think at this point, would wouldn't you say, William? That's more or less. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah, uh, Daniel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I was going to ask because I actually had a similar idea. Yeah, for China, um, about before COVID time, halfway through COVID, something like this, where you know my creative juices were going into overload because I was stuck yeah. at home. But um, the main thing is was for me in China, and I think for everybody is in China, is that they don't get access to the kind of journalism, watch journalism that is prevalent in the West. And when it comes to developing the watch journey, you know, a lot of the literature is in English, French, Italian, anything but Chinese, which means for collectors here in China, they get to a point I mean, most of the media here, I mean, if you think it's bad, well, you weren't saying it was bad at Hedinki, but if you think that a lot of stuff is maybe um, premeditated, 
here in China, it is just pure premeditation. You know, it's pure marketing, pure sales, trying to sell the next thing. But actually, you know, that actually turns off a lot of the consumers here. They, especially those collectors which want to go to further down the watch collecting journey, know about vintage. And I think that's actually one of the barriers for China going into vintage is the lack of education, lack of reliable knowledge. So I kind of just went on a tangent there. But uh, my question was, is how was it trying to get these people to like go on to one platform? Because I, I reached mm -hmm. out to people. I actually didn't just have this idea. I reached out to people and you know, I was I was met up with resistance actually. Well, we we don't ask. We just take the feeds and we adapt them into the app, which is not easy to do because every feed is a little different. And our developer had to really, our third partner had to really work uh, diligently to get all those to work. But we don't ask permission. Um, we the way the internet works is that it's perfectly legal to aggregate in this way. Oh. And quite common and quite normal um, to do that. So we are the ones in control of that decision. And if someone didn't want to be on watch space, they could certainly write to us. And I don't see any reason we wouldn't respect their wishes, but no one said anything yet. So, uh, mm -hmm. William, you were going to say something? Um, yeah, Dan, I want to I want to say uh, we we don't take a judgment on the, the writing or the the way the watch industry is going in certain ways you know the 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 watch space is just a mirror and a reflection of what's in the english language about watchers uh and some of it is really good and some of it is really bad mm. um some of it is a really good and has a commercial bias some of it is really bad without a commercial bias you know it's i think we we're not being judged. We let the reader be the judge of that. Um, that's the one point. The second point is, I think that um, the uh, the watch space has um, potentially the aptitude to help others create the same app in different languages. And I agree that um, to a certain extent, it's much harder in, in other languages than English uh, because we have a m richer environment in English. Okay. Um, just from general observation, I would say in the past five years, um, I have no reason, I have no like idea why, but I feel like a lot of people now are more drawn to images more than actually taking the time to read, right? So have you guys somewhat created the app to be more heavily focused on, say, images, videos, or... Are you just like, this is equal video podcasts and uh, like articles? The answer to that is that we haven't, like William said, we're more a mirror that we hold up mm -hmm. to the whole thing and it comes through. So we don't, I don't think we even had a discussion about like how much of each one. It's just what's out there. What can we incorporate okay. that meets our very basic criteria, which if anyone wants to look at the criteria, it's actually listed in our curatorial policy on the website if they want to see that. Uh, it's not terribly controversial. Like, yeah. basically, it has to be technically compliant. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we can't incorporate something that doesn't work and, yeah. you know, digitally and code-wise. Um, mm -hmm. And anything that we deem to be purely marketing, like if there's just a jewelry store that happens to have a blog, we're probably not including that because we see mm -hmm. that as... It basically tuned into their regional client list and not necessarily journalism. 
Um, but that's a sort of subjective call that we're pretty loose with. And, and we kind of retain the right to just make that call case by case. And then lastly, um, the if there was something we deemed truly offensive or dangerous, you know, which yeah. hasn't come up in the watch world, but like certainly if there was something yeah. that was just in such poor taste or truly, you know, whatever, anti-racist or whatever, or something like that, we'd probably draw a line at some point and not try and share that. Um, but so far we haven't bumped into anything like that either. So it really, Lung Lung, to answer your question, yeah. the the shift of focus on onto image and all of that, which I think is a product of social media and, and the technology we're using and a sort of a lot of new people to watches who just want to look at them and check them out necessarily don't necessarily need to know what, you know, tritium is versus radium and whether that's marked on a dial or not or whatever. There's like, oh, that one's cool. Look at this one. And there's a lot of sharing of images and wrist shots and all that. Um, that's just what's happening. And we don't have much to say or to do with it. We're just sort of, again, trying to be a more open conduit for all of that. Daniel? Yeah, I was going to kind of leading on to what Long Long's question was, which is now you've said you've got the video and you've got like the podcasts and you've got like the articles. Where are actually you seeing the traffic? Is it mostly towards video or is it, you know, are you finding like, because you must have a lot of data and, you know, what kind of listener likes podcast just because, you know, I'm interested because we run a podcast, right? Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, is is it that the articles are that are being shown is it less readership there you know can you see that data like where where's the consumer going now i'll, I'll answer quickly that we we can see all that data we william and i haven't necessarily seen it all we get little glimpses as our third partner sometimes our developer who's uh got that data at his fingertips all the time sort of will tell us um it's interesting to see we mostly what i'm seeing mostly is that the blogs get the most traffic that youtube and podcasts do not and that could be a product of many things it could be that people already subscribe to the podcast they like through their podcast player or that they have youtube channel subscriptions or that they just don't use the app that way and spend that much time inside the app you can play those things within the app and it's actually really convenient to like oh here's a cool podcast i'm gonna listen to it and it's playing inside the watch space seamlessly which is great from a user and user experience but that's like a you know that can be an hour-long commitment versus just looking at the pictures and reading the price of some watch review or something like that so i think that we're seeing more blogs and it's interesting to see who's the most popular i i can tell you that over and over again fratello is doing really well in terms of our the people who have downloaded the app seem to really like fratello which includes me i, I think they do excellent work there and and it's very it's been around a long time and it's, it's an interesting perspective but kind of fun to look at those stats but i'm not sure how um in terms of whether we have the insight as to what's more popular video versus podcast versus blogs it's hard to say and it's also why do people download this app it might be to scroll the news meaning like this is my morning paper i'm going to read things mm -hmm. and look at images not and i'm next to my partner and i don't necessarily want to turn on a podcast i just want to read quietly while they sleep or something so that's my guess about behavior william um yeah we i, I i've noticed and this is really by talking with people that a a lot of professionals use the app i was really surprised to see that a lot of pr people and and yeah. come people were using the app because they want to see how well they did in terms of coverage on the three mm -hmm. medium. You know, uh, 
hey, are they talking about my new launch on YouTube? Are they talking about my new launch on in podcasts? Are they covering us in blogs? So I've noticed this. People tell me, oh, I love this tool because it's really nearly a tool for a professional. You can, with a search engine, you can definitely just plug in a name and see how much coverage you get. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've heard a lot of feedback from those guys, which made me very happy, to be honest with you. Uh, mm-hmm. because if pro use it, it means that at one point the the enthusiasts will use it, hopefully. Um, but we, you know, we're very young still. We we have what two thousand download, uh, a little bit more maybe, and uh, we we hope that people will play where they want to use it for. You know, some people may. I think it's really three different universe: blogs, a YouTube, and podcasts. You have guys that only do YouTube and they have their own world, their own scandals, their own watchers, mm-hmm. and then the blogs have their own world. And podcasters seems to be more of blending in all those worlds because they, it's much harder to create content in a podcast. I feel mm-hmm. than uh, with a video or with um, with an article on a blog. Mm-hmm. So podcaster may have much harder job. Uh, going mainstream in in our blog in our app sorry okay go ahead Um, we had an editor for gmt magazine in hong kong recently on the podcast and we were talking about how watch journalism has changed over time and at least in hong kong a lot of the people that i know that work for magazines watch magazines they have created a persona online and it's very like online social media driven a lifestyle, a, a personality, rather than just someone anonymous writing like on a computer somewhere. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Because I mean, se- like second part of the question is that given all the stuff that's happened recently with Only Watch and how like one person on social media can have this kind of like trickle effect and then all the stuff happened. Yeah, what are your thoughts, William? Um, I- I'm going to do this one. Uh, I'm sure Alan will have his own thoughts, but. Um, Look, I've been involved with the internet for nearly 30 years. I I joined Time Zone in 1995. Mm. Um, And back then, that was, you know, the only place to talk about watchers. And we were talking watchers. Nobody knew our life. Nobody Mm. knew our kids, what we eat, what we drink, what we drive. Um, Things have changed a lot. Now everybody is kind of a personality. I'm a product, I think, of this, you know, in a way that... You talk about watchers, but I try to reduce it to just my taste in watch. I don't want people to know about my life. Uh, but I think more and more journalists or people that write stuff want to write about their life and incorporate their life and lifestyle with the things they talk about, mm. which is, I'm not making judgment on this, but I think in the last 10 years, especially with uh, uh, with social media, you have more of this, you know, let me create an environment for you guys. Um and um, and this is being more and more incorporated in in the, what we read and opinions mm. that we get. You know, oh, this guy owns this, therefore he must know watchers, which means nothing. But uh, you 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 get this amalgam of of things that people put together. And um, I mean, I don't know if we're straying away from the app, but I think it reflects on the app too, uh, where more and more journalists have their own personality and. They want to exchange that and show that to their audience, mm. which uh, which is very interesting. 
Colin? I would add, you know, William, we, we are starting to incorporate some Substack feeds too, because you'll see that individual journalists who maybe once worked for Hodinkee or another blog, like Jack Forrester has a cool Substack and Jason Heaton has a cool Substack. And now they're also branching out and doing Slack channels. Like I know the Gray NATO podcast has a Slack channel you can pay, become a patron and join that and enter that community. So you see a lot of entrepreneurship amongst um, journalists. And I also think that one of the big reasons we're seeing that shift long, long that you mentioned where people are out there being a persona and trying to get their own individual audience uh, is that there is money to be made as an influencer and to become independently funded for your journalism. So I could, you know, be on the dial in a way is me at first anyways, before I built out the team um, and Lung Lung, you've done some writing for us, which I was so happy about, um, which uh, was kind of me going out on my own in the absence of freelance work during COVID, but it was still that kind of thing. I tended to make a brand beyond the dial and have an ethos about doing only evergreen content, not covering the news, which was not super great for making uh, short-term advertising money, but because if you don't do the press release, you can, you kind of do it in this tit for tat kind of quid pro quo thing with that. But um, it, 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 I tend to put a brand in front of me and not interact too much as a persona, although with the podcast, it's hard not to. And on the podcast, I'm like on the therapist couch, as my friend says, but <laughs> very personal yeah, at tell times. Me about it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But that's part of the watch journey and people really, the, the people that do like that, like it a lot. But I, I would also add that the world of media in general, like pan out even further, it's not just watches, but the world of media in general has changed in this way where an individual can become so powerfully influential through these channels. And they don't necessarily need to be sanctioned or edited or fact-checked or anything these days, right? Like if you can get a big enough audience, you can become a player in political systems, in mm -hmm. financial systems, in culture, in, you know, you can become influential um, because there's this platform, like everyone has a radio station and a newspaper and a TV channel. If they're, in their pocket now right and if you can mm -hmm. catch enough fire um the problem of course is that in order to catch that fire uh you have to do certain things that are a bit flamey and inflammatory and are sticky and catchy like my kind of nerdy scholarship about dashrons that no one seems to care about does not very it doesn't catch a lot of fire you know and so i can go online and talk all i want about this and that and i think it's it's also interesting to see how image uh, impacts that phenomenon. But I think you're also seeing it happening with publications themselves that they're becoming more lifestyle oriented. You know, I think mm -hmm. Hodinkee is interesting to watch their transformation in recent years. They've really changed up their staff. They have a fashion editor now, Malaika, who I've known, I've been on press trips with her and she's, she's a lot of fun. And, you know, they're doing like fashion, like they have a thing like how to, how to wear it which is always funny to me. I'm like, you're going to tell me how to wear the watch. And I like strap it to my wrist and I stumble up for coffee. Like that's no, how I, I wear it. But, <laughs> but you'll see that change to yeah. influencing, right? Like this is yeah. how, how do you put together the whole lifestyle? How, and the watch yeah. is almost the secondary thing. And it's very small in the images. You're seeing this yeah. supermodel with, you know, a see-through t-shirt on that I would never <laughs> wear in a million years because it'd be publicly awful. 
Yeah. And then this fancy Chopard watch or something. And I'm like, that's a real shift of focus from yeah. learning about like, oh, what's a, you know, alpha dial or whatever. Yeah. It's a pretty different like, world. You know, um, yeah. Like the thing ahead. with fashion, though, is that I've come to realize like in the really short three to five years, they've really run out of ways to sell watches. And yeah. uh, just yesterday or the day before, we had two female collectors on. And they are the only watch group that I have interviewed or interacted with that I've been able to see they do an event or they have any kind of G2G and it translates to sales. And I think the magic to that was that they sold it through what they wore, which is they have this whole community of people who collect Birkins and wear a Chanel and the spending power is so high. But the emphasis is how do you style the watch? We also had a mm. guy who started D-Logs, so a watch strap company, and mm -hmm. he started this whole campaign with how to style your watch and then with this outfit. So, of course, my first impression was like, this is ridiculous. Like, don't tell me how to wear it. <laughs> like, I know how to wear my watches, right? Yeah. But now I've come to see like, this is just how like media is now and journalism. Like, you run out of ways to sell things and now you have to just go like, go back and revisit everything and be like, what haven't we tried and just go that way? Yeah. I think this ties to a shift we're seeing in watch brands as well, which is yeah. trickling into the journalism that watch brands are realizing more than they ever had before the power of ambassadorship of lifestyle of aspiration. And I think it's cyclical as well. Like, I don't think this was not happening in the eighties, for example, in America, but it's happening at a, in a, and it really took off in the past five, six, seven years somehow um, where the brands seem more and more focused on being an accessory within a luxury lifestyle. And the, you'll see this shift at Rolex, right? I think it's safe to say that Rolex has gone from a brand that you could walk into just any place and buy a Rolex. It was not hard to get a Rolex. There were certain models that were hard to get, but you, you just could walk in. I mean, not that long ago, mm -hmm. pre-pandemic and a few years before that, you could just walk into an AD and buy a sub. You could just walk in anywhere and get one. There was no waiting list. There's none of the stuff. And that's the name of your podcast. And yeah. they... um they have really embraced uh, the luxury strategy. And there is a book called The Luxury Strategy, and it's written by these uh, experts in luxury in a Parisian luxury institute. They are studied in anthropology and cultural theory. And this whole, the, the, in a nutshell, the luxury strategy is that you exclude people from access in order to maintain the high status of having the thing. And the reason that has happened is that in the absence of stratified societies that you had prior to democracies, um, human beings being human beings stratify themselves in a capitalist de democracies like Western societies like ours here. And to do that, we use luxury uh, okay. to indicate our status, our wealth, our ex and so the brands that work on the ex on that luxury concept are excluding people and making it an aspirational thing to obtain the object. Okay, so that's a little bit long-winded, but that you can see going back to Rolex, how they've gone from, we make these really wonderful premium watches. They're like luxury tool watches and some sort of dressier models that are just wonderful. Um, and you can come get one to 
Yeah, we, you're probably not even going to get on the list. You're not going to get the call. Like years of, and spending a lot of money to get there. So they've shifted that strategy in a very big way. And that indicates to me the shift that's more broadly happening within the watch space. Uh, and I don't mean our app, but just the world of watches amongst brands, especially toward this exclusivity and making a bigger deal of that and trying to push the idea that you should have this watch in order to maintain that status or that clout um, as an, as a marketing strategy, which then trickles into the journalism. And so you see these influencers like, look, I, here we are unboxing this rare Patek that no one else can get. And isn't this amazing? And she's thrilled with it. And it's so great. And we're so happy and they're so happy and you can't have it. And that's a very different, world we're in but it lends itself to lifestyle and fashion and all that uh daniel yeah uh i just wanted to move on a little bit and ask yeah you know you just started this uh app and you said you know you're right at the infancy you've already done so much but to me you know the idea was to put everything together but you've kind of done that so what is left to do and perhaps william can answer and you know what is there left to do uh love has uh lot. we we were very um enthusiastic about expanding and maybe include uh auction houses um you know have all the watches that come during the season in in the app so that will make it kind of an interesting uh, aspect for somebody to you know who's looking at the watch you know could put maybe I'm not a developer, but maybe a search, and then it will pop up on the app if uh, one of the auction house puts it. Um, that's one thing we're thinking of. Um, there is uh, language, as uh, my uh, partner um, just told us. You know, we could include French, we could do Spanish, we could do uh, different languages. Chinese, Chinese, <laughs> yes, Chinese. Uh, that, I think that would be maybe number first priority, Chinese. Um, but yeah, we the the idea is a tool, right? We we created a tool. We we don't want to lose money. I don't think we are very aggressive in trying to make money. I think we all have our own jobs. Um, the idea is, you know, let let this thing evolve and make it something that could be very useful to somebody who is very um, keen and interested in the watch space. Somebody like me is plugged in all the time, or somebody who is not plugged in but would like to be plugged in and you know, use that app to learn more about watches and uh, watchmaking. Uh, I think that's that's the goal here. It's more of a, a tool that we want to maintain and um, perfection, you know, maybe we want to make it a little bit more perfect or better. But uh, the idea is this, uh, just a tool, um, like a, a Swiss pocket knife, if you want, mm. uh, of yeah. uh, watch watch media. It's, it's very interesting you mentioned the auction house because like in China, there is an app called Art Pro. And, um, you know, one of the things is they, they put a lot of the gallery stuff on, but one of the things is the auction stuff. So from all four main auction houses, when it comes to auction season, it's actually very convenient for the user because they don't have to go on each separate, well, to be honest, like most mm. most of the Chinese um, auction, ha auction houses in China they don't develop an app. They develop a mini program, which runs off WeChat. So each one has each their own one. But this particular app aggregates all of that. Uh, you know, it's literally 
I went on it the other day, like a copy and paste job, you know, but it's still done very tastefully and people can search and everything. And William, I don't know if you know, but I actually work for Phillips as their China consultant. And, um, okay. you know, I, a lot of clients actually, they tell me about that app because they found, they look at the catalog on that app. So clearly what we're doing is not like where it needs to be. And, you know, it still needs a lot of work, but uh, it's very popular. And one of the things they monetize off is a subscription fee. And it's it's about like this, the entry one is about 200 RMB. So that's about that's, 300, uh, 20... that's about 30 US dollars. Right. I was going to say 20, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's about 30 US dollars. And um, what you get there is you get certain privileges. One of those things is the pricing. So you get like a graph of how things have gone up and down um, and also certain your access to certain information. Um, there are no ads. So the user experience is quite enjoyable, actually. Um, so so yeah, it, it's interesting you mentioned that, and I thought I'd just tell you about that app. Yep, Alan. Uh, I think so. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, sorry, I was going to say just for full disclosure, I didn't know, and I, I have a feeling Alan may may have known, but we didn't create a podcast because Philips is the first advertiser on the app. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> you know that. Oh. Yeah. That Dan invited us, and I have a feeling he didn't even know that Philips was an advertiser on our. No, I didn't know. Um, I didn't know. Yeah, exactly. No, and so, I for, uh, Dan, uh, Daniel, I knew that you were doing that now that you mention it, but I had, I it just had sort of escaped me and I reached out to Lung Lung and I was like, let's do the podcast. And and so, no, it, there's no affiliation there. Um, I wanted to say that it's one of the things I actually, speaking of Philips, I love having the Philips ads as our, as our advertiser right now, because that's great watch content. Like they, first of all, they generate a lot of really useful collector resources, right? Like they have Logan Baker, who was my editor at watch time, going way back. And then he was at Hodinkee for a number of years. And then he he moved to Geneva and works for Philips now. And he's even in the live auctions doing the phones and all that. And But he's really good at writing these like guides to, you know, the early model FB Jordan resonance or whatever, like, and there's a lot of high-end content there, but also the auctions themselves are fascinating, right? Like, oh, look, I never even saw that particular model before like oh look at that rolex sub with the comex dial oh it's gonna go for half a million bucks whoa and you kind of get a sense of that world and that's a big part of the watch space is the auction world i mean it's covered by so many journalism outlets anyways um so to the ad itself is actually something i click on quite a bit um and and find myself looking through the Philips content and the current watch auctions that they're promoting through the app are really interesting. So to, to, I, I said from the get-go, we should include them because they're a big part of the watch space, but they also have great content. And Philips, and it, I, I'm not excluding Christie's and Sotheby's and all the other, you know, Anquorum and all the other auction houses, but there are, those are good resources for people that are taking the step towards being more serious about collecting I think, you know, if you're kind of going from enthusiast to, wow, I might actually spend some real money on an important piece. Mm -hmm. And even just from a learning point of view, even if you don't go to an auction or participate by phone, it can be really interesting to look at that stuff. So it'd be interesting to see how that can grow. Long -long? Just before mm -hmm. you come in, Long Long, 
Yeah. Uh, just make sure you beep Alan's mentions of the other auction houses because we're all about <laughs> yeah. being inclusive. You know, no, we want to. They're you know, going we wanna, their like, own right now. So <laughs> we want to be totally inclusive. And beep what other auction out. houses? What yeah. other auction houses? <laughs> I'll remember that. <laughs> I just wanted to say, um, so in terms of like, same thing. So I would usually, so I open Hodinkee, read a few things, close it. And the next one would be Phillips, right? I'll tell you what's frustrating. And I wish that somebody would do it. Either somebody has done it. And I have no idea about this is as you're scrolling and you see a reference and you're like, oh, cool. The price, like the estimate and the actual say past auction, the actual price, it doesn't mean anything at all because it doesn't tell you anything in terms of like, I have to individually search that reference on Google and be like, oh, this year it's sold this much. This year it sold this much. And I know a lot of collectors, they make their own Excel and, you know, they compare. But yeah. what are you going to do in the middle of the night at like 11 p.m.? You're doing this stuff like somebody <laughs> needs to just be like, OK, this is the watch. You scroll down and you see how much it goes for. And when was the last transaction? And then it becomes really clear. Do I want to make the purchase this year or not? Yeah. There is an app. Uh, there's a new website that started. Somebody started about two months ago that does this. You have to pay a subscription fee. Okay. Um, I don't remember the name, but um. There's are you talking about? Are you talking about every watch? Every watch. Thank you. Oh, okay. okay. Every so, watch does this. Every okay. watch. Uh, every watch uh, does this. It's great. like, and I'd like to say something about that. So I did yeah. some consulting with them while mm -hmm. they were in development with every watch, and I got the tour over the summer of the platform and what it can do from one of their developers and got to ask questions. It's amazing. It's mm -hmm. like, like using AI and technology to generate like decades long trends and value valuation of certain models and certain references in various conditions, all searchable by reference number. It is geeky. It is so mm -hmm. powerful, but it also does amazing things like the AI will exclude exceptional uh, mm -hmm. things that would skew results. For example, like if you were doing the Rolex Daytona, you have to exclude the Paul Newman auction or yeah. else it just skews the whole thing. Yeah. Like <laughs> really sophisticated at following trends. And mm -hmm. I, I'm, I've just opened it now. Um, every auction, every sale, every watch. And it's, yeah. it's, it's like Chrono 24 on steroids. It's really, <laughs> an, it's because it's got so much data stuff. So Lung Lung, you're a good candidate for every watch because you can just search a reference number. It'll give you historical valuation. It'll give you projected valuation. It does all this stuff. So even just a, even, even if you're not, you know, going for, you know, rare Daytonas or something, if you're just looking for a, a pretty common reference because you want to pick up a sub that's a few years old, you can get a feel for what it yeah. was worth are you getting you know shafted does it come down a bit are you doing okay like even just as a a, a novice sort of yeah. enthusiast yeah. got useful tools right up to more sophisticated people who are buying for major collectors and that kind of thing mm -hmm. so that's worth mentioning it's got a similar spirit to the watch space that it's looking at everything and trying to get a feel for the bigger picture globally of okay. watches and and while they're more focused on value and purchasing, we're more focused on whatever comes through the journalism space. But it's got that similar globe-sized view, which is interesting. Okay. It gives you an interesting perspective, both between the watch space and every watch. You really can see 
a really big picture of what's going on in watches, you know, from a certain yeah. angle. Yeah. I think sometimes I like before I got into watches, I had a phase in my life. I was really into collecting bags. And I used to always think, man, the the bags like and the community and the the data data and how they like curate everything. It was way more advanced. Like a long time ago, they were already plotting all these like maps and being like right now the best place to buy a Birkin is this place and they had all these graphs they did all the calculations for you and I know of course a lot of the watch brands like they you know daily they do the conversion for you right but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just always felt like the watch space was always one step slower than the bag and fashion space Mm. yeah that's interesting I wonder maybe I wonder why that is it but yeah. we've got every watch now, so they're they're pretty good yeah. at it. William? Yeah, William. I think that the major reason is because uh, for many years, and even now, it's mostly vintage watches that run the, the, the show, you know, the high-end stuff. Yeah. And every watch, every vintage watch is unique uh, on its own yeah. in terms of condition, in terms of, um, uh, you know, um, origin and who owned it and all this. So it was very hard to create trend uh, mm-hmm. up to maybe three, five years ago where modern watch and new vintage came along now and it's more of a commodity because vintage I mean, vintage Birkin bags, not a lot of people buy them. I mean, vintage yeah. as in really old, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and actually, they're only 40 years old, the, the Birkins, but uh, condition also has a lot to do with it um, in the watch world, which I don't think is so much with... Uh, a nineteen, a two thousand seventeen Birkin versus a two thousand eighteen Birkin. Yeah. Um. So th- there's there are differences. I think watches is maybe similar to cars in certain ways, mm-hmm. where you know now the business for modern cars is much bigger than the secondhand modern car is much bigger than vintage cars, and I think we're getting there with watches to a certain yeah. extent. But big shout out to every watch because they did a great job with that software. I have to say, yeah, uh, yeah. and I would recommend it to anybody. Yeah, but so okay. who's actually behind every watch? Uh, I was speaking. The, the, I believe it's an Israeli-based firm, uh, sort of technology firm that helped develop it, and I think they've done some other similar platforms in other uh, areas of interest, like art and that kind of thing. Um, but beyond that, I can't re- I can't really say exactly what the business entity was. They reached out to me for some consulting mm. and some some writing just to do some stuff. I have some things on their blog. They have a magazine. I should look. Um, mm. But they uh, they yeah, I think they're Israeli based in in mm. uh, Tel Aviv. Okay, yeah. I guess uh... at least at least when I was taking my meetings, I was speaking with people in Tel Aviv. <laughs> so yeah. But it's a little bit anonymous, you know, it's not, it's not a personality mm-hmm. forward kind of thing at all. You know, they've mm-hmm. developed their, their magazine has some writers and such, but beyond that, it's uh, data, you know, coming at you and really good images too, I should say, like it's, it's very well done. Very well done. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, what's just left to ask is, are we on the watch space? Yeah. Yes, we, we are. are. Ellen's Without, like, shit, w- <laughs> let me go. <laughs> And Phillips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are on it. And and against your will, you have no choice. You are on it. Welcome, welcome to this country. We just do what we want. So it doesn't matter. Just out of interest. 
how many watch yeah. podcasts are there? That's a good question. I can that tell you, you actually by thought at the app. were worthy. Um, That's a joke, by I the can way. Tell you that. I can tell you that. It, it, we can tell you how many there are in the app, anyways, that yeah. we've incorporated. Yeah, it's, I would say about 30. Okay. All right. Imagine if you put a ranking system, all hell would break loose, right? Like, well, we if you could. imagine the publications, like, we could be a lot of big measuring. We could be I, I we could do it because the data's there. It is it's mm. not a far cry from we could rank who's performing the best. Most popular article was part of Watchville. You could search by most popular. Yes. And so that, that you know, so it's not like a new idea actually to rank the content itself. Um, and we could rank the publications. The other thing that's interesting is that at some point as we collect we're I mean, when we say collecting data, it's not creepy like facebook collecting data it's we see the statistics of which articles get read how much and then that Mm -hmm. can translate into which publications we don't know who read it or even where they were Mm -hmm. um but we can see what's the most popular um which is just a number and it's it could be eventually interesting to see what kinds of articles are the most popular I could see a publication coming and saying like, how are we performing in the broader watch space? Like when we publish this, we win the watch space. And I say this as somebody who used to try to win Flipboard when I worked with with Gear Patrol. And the idea was to beat Hodinkee at Flipboard. And Flipboard was like this gauge that everyone used at the time. You remember it was like an aggregator of news and they had a watch section. And if you could win Flipboard, I mean, in all seriousness, like the editors and chiefs at these various publications would text each other at times. And like, I remember I won Flipboard because I was the first person to do the comprehensive guide to the Rolex, all Rolex. Like that was a new thing not that long ago. Now everybody's done like three of them. But we did that and we won Flipboard. Oren and I, who introduced William and I, were like, we won Flipboard. We did it. We beat Hodinkee. We beat everybody. <laughs> so the idea that we could we could offer this sort of view into what's performing well in terms of attention is kind of interesting. You know, um, okay. I don't know that that's going to be useful for anyone outside of the publishers or the editors. Um, I don't see how it serves readers necessarily. Um but we chose not to have, we actually chose not to have a search by most popular because I think it tends to um, dismiss the mm. the others. And I just sort of, it's just by time. And that's something to note that like when you publish something is when you appear in the feed. Mm. And so it's quite a natural reflection of just the activity of the people out in the world. If you happen to publish a little bit before, you're actually further down the feed, you know? Mm. Um, and it doesn't have any kind of, privileging of certain content whether it's more popular or whether it's you know whatever paid for or sponsored yeah. or anything like that the only thing that really is yeah. privileged is the advertising which shows up at a certain tempo as you use it hopefully not annoyingly so we tried to pick a a tasteful yet effective rate of ads appearing for every five minutes of scrolling or something like this i can't remember the exact numbers hmm. right well i think that's it i think we've covered the watch space there for all the audience if you've got any yeah. questions then aim it at alan farmello and the uh, messina labs william messina but and, can you uh, just say again where they can download the app and the name yeah. of the app i just tried to download yep. it okay it's free uh at the apple app store 
and for uh, iOS, and it will be coming pretty soon for Android. We're working on that. It's just that we don't have it fully finished, and the approval rates are a little different. So, but it is for and it's free. We should make that really clear. Uh, it doesn't mm -hmm. cost anything, and then, so you just download it to your phone and start using it right away. If I hope people will do that, uh... and you can just go to the App Store and search the Watch Space, and it'll show up. And mm -hmm. if you like what you see, give us a five star rating on Apple. It really helps us promote the <laughs> brand and get it out there for people. So there's always that. Um, but I think we're, uh, I think we're going to see it on Android probably early in 2024, if I had to guess. Okay, thank All you right, guys so... so much. I just want to add, because I've just tried to search it. So I don't know if this is the same for you guys. But when I type in watch space as one word, it doesn't turn up. Uh, no, um, I want watch yeah. space, like watch the gap space. Yeah. Watch space space. Yeah, as in <laughs> like watch and then space bar yeah. space. Yeah, okay. it's so hard to explain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it shows up. It shows up. Not one word, two yeah. words. Search two, yeah, words, two words. Yeah, there you go. Two yeah. words. Yeah. There, there we go. go. Yeah. Two words. Yeah. And uh, just one more thing, since you mentioned Android, right? And if you ever bring this to China, you see, Android and anything Google doesn't work in China. Yeah. So, yeah, only people that have Apple iPhones can actually get anything like that. You know what I mean? Uh. So that's why everybody does the mini program thing through WeChat. But you can get the app in China. You can get the watch space in China. Well, if you're Presumably. on uh, if you're on the, the Apple Store Android, you're not you're not going to get it. So you have to have an Apple phone to get it. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So that's but that's only going to limit you to a very small population because you've How got you Huawei phones, Xiaomi phones. They all use their own native local watch uh, app store. Android doesn't uh, exist. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, All right, so we'll have to figure that one out too. Yeah, a lot of people Welcome don't to... know that. Yeah. Welcome to the world of tech and more work for our developer. Yeah. <laughs> and if anybody wants any consultancy in China, you know who to find. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. It's been a pleasure to, uh, obviously, you know, we've met Alan before. It's been a pleasure to have you on again. William, I look forward to, you know, having you on, um, you know, one-to-one -one. I'm, I'm sure there's so much that we can cover but it's been an absolute mm -hmm. pleasure and thank you for your time yeah thank, thank you yeah. and i want to say shout out to messina lab too and when you do an episode with, without me you get to talk about that but there's so many interesting things that william's yeah. releasing all the time in the watches so people who aren't familiar with messina lab can get a jump start before you do that episode and just go check out his stuff it's really excellent so that's yeah. that's free advertising right there william you're welcome. Thank you, Alan. That, that's the whole purpose. <laughs> <laughs> have a safe trip in New York. Yeah. See you. Bye. Okay. Great to see, see you guys. guys. Thanks a lot. Bye. 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 As always, thank you for listening to the Waiting List podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.